It is indeed a pleasure to have this privilege to play here for you. And we, we intend to give you a very fine program, so just settle back, relax, and enjoy the moment. 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 Hey, what's up, everyone? Welcome back to a special edition of uh, Mic'd Up on OM Radio. I'm your host, Mika Gadsden. I'm here with another daily update, help you stay abreast as to what's going on regarding COVID-19 and how it's impacting our daily lives, our daily routines here in the low country. So, yeah, if you've been tracking the news even a little bit, right, even if you don't listen to this podcast every day or tune into OM Radio, Um, undoubtedly you've already heard uh, the city of Charleston took that next step, that step that a lot of folks like myself have been looking for, which is the uh, city of Charleston became the first city in the state to enact uh, shelter in place laws. And I think it's the only thing to do. It's the right thing to do. This is going to have a huge impact on our collective health and safety. Um, But given the numbers that we continuously see go up, uh, according to DHEC, I, I don't think there was any other way about it. So, Waking up this morning, I see that, um, and as reported last night by multiple news outlets, currently we sit at 342 positive test cases for COVID-19. And unfortunately, that has led to a total of seven deaths, seven deaths due to infection from COVID-19. So with these numbers just uh, just continue to grow, continuing to grow, um, it's calling, it's requiring our local lawmakers and our communities to take drastic measures. I want to give you that county update in terms of infection rate. So again, according to DHEC, um, and again, that's our state department of health, right? So, um, according to DHEC, Kershaw County still leading is still leading the state, uh, with a total of 58, uh, positive cases. Richland County comes in second place with 45 positive infections, uh, and third is Greenville County with 39 positive infections, and Charleston has dropped. Remember, I believe it was third yesterday. Um, yeah, I think it was third yesterday. Um, but Charleston has dropped to 36 positive infections, um, positive cases rather. So again, those numbers are going to continue to to, to oscillate and, and shift as testing becomes more readily available. But again, these numbers, this reality, and I'm sure there's so many meetings and 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 so much information flooding not just Mayor Tecklenburg's office, but all local lawmakers are probably being inundated with so much data. And and no data is more, I guess, critical or illuminating than these numbers of uh, positive test cases and the unfortunate deaths that have followed. So let me just go. Let me just go ahead and um play this clip to give you a picture of what news broke yesterday regarding the new restrictions here in Charleston. In Charleston, the mayor there has issued a stay-at-home order. Mayor John Tecklenburg saying that with the spread of the virus, that order is the best chance to prevent tragedy in the city. The measures go into effect at 12.01 tomorrow night and will expire in 14 days unless extended. With that said, the Diocese of Charleston says they're suspending all mass services until further notice. At this point, they will continue to live stream mass service, including for Holy Week and Easter Week. 
That clip came to you courtesy of WLTX, uh, the CBS affiliate from Columbia, South Carolina. I'm going to go ahead and play a, a clip from our local CBS affiliate here, Live 5 News, that gives you even more information about Mayor Tecklenburg, the city council meeting that was called yesterday, and the measures that, that came from that city council meeting. And speaking of social distancing, Lisa, the city of Charleston officially voting to put into place a stay-at-home order. They want you to do exactly what I'm doing here. It also closes non-essential businesses and directs people to stay inside for the next 14 days. That's two weeks. Lillian Donahue breaks down what essential operations can still continue and what the ordinance means for you. After long discussion, Charleston city leaders are taking the next step in coronavirus protection, asking everyone to stay home for the next two weeks. This is an unprecedented time, uncharted territory. In a virtual Charleston City Council meeting, city leaders debated to temporarily close non-essential businesses and ask the public to stay home. The ayes have it. The motion passes. But ultimately, they decided that while coronavirus cases continue to rise, the stay-at-home ordinance will take effect for two weeks starting Thursday. To stay at home, except, except for necessary trips to the grocery store, the pharmacy, and other essential services and activities. This also includes medical facilities, banks and gas stations or convenience stores. Trash collection and city operations will continue and restaurants serving takeout will still be allowed to stay open while people are wary about the potential impacts on local businesses in the area. I feel like this is way jumping the gun. Others welcome the city's call to cut the virus's growth. Because if we sort of just hope for the best and hope that people sort of abide by the rules, I think that will lengthen this process. The chief of police said as of right now, they're asking people to voluntarily comply. But if necessary, they can enforce orders to break up large groups. We're out in the communities and we're going to be out. And we're going to be vigilant and we're going to keep our communities safe. To be clear, the ordinance is not a curfew, rather a direction asking people not to go outside if they don't have to. Charleston County officials released a statement this afternoon saying that they don't plan to follow the city's lead in unincorporated areas. Reporting in Charleston, Lillian Donahue, Live 5 News. You know, um, as I curate these clips online and like pull them from YouTube and other sources, it's wild to you'll hear the shift in sound quality and what folks can't see. If you're not like someone who watches the news at home, what you can't see is that all of these reporters, all of these weather people and um, correspondents are at home. Like they may go out and capture some video, but even in some of the uh, uh, the uh, CBS affiliate uh news or, or audio that I use from Columbia and other regions, I'm watching reporters FaceTime with folks and um, actually film their phone screens. And you can hear again, like, um, uh, like Raphael has suggested at the beginning of this, at that last clip, he's at home delivering the news. I've never seen anything like this before in my life. And it's showing you how seriously everyone is taking this and also how every um every aspect of of our daily lives and our media lives is being impacted by that and and if you do turn on like any cable news or anything like that you'll see a lot of folks have have either switched studios have been working out of their homes or rental properties and it's just i just wanted to say that and comment on that because you clearly hear the sound quality sh shift a little bit because these folks are at home. And so shout out to all of the news people, um, men, women, everyone um, who is out there giving us this great coverage, even though you're limited 
and, and your mobility has been restricted. Um, you go out and you might capture like the press conference with um, the, the comments that were offered by Mir Tecklenburg and uh, Chief Reynolds. They were outside and of course they were at a podium, but folks were socially distancing themselves from the speakers. And um, you, you just you just see things have just shifted. Uh, this is our new normal. Um, okay, so um, that was that clip was important also because uh, I really wanted you to hear from uh, Chief Reynolds. Yesterday, I included a clip from Governor McMaster's most recent um, press conference where he enacted his executive order, which mandates that folks cannot can no longer gather in groups larger than three people throughout the state of South Carolina. Uh, I, I included that clip, and, and as I was uh, editing the clip, something struck me as a little odd, but I quickly forgot to follow up. Well, basically, he referred to a specific statute. And uh, so what was once a, a civil infraction is now a criminal infraction. And, and in, instead of getting into all the, I guess, the legalese, um, I'll just let you know what happened. So I posted the clip. I forgot about it because I was going to follow up with a friend about, hey, what does this mean? Like, what is the governor proposing to do if folks do congregate in groups larger than three? Um, how is he empowering the police? You know, will this lead to militarization? These are some of the concerns I always have as a prison abolitionist, as someone who does not believe in carceral approaches to modifying behavior. And so um, it just so happened, just ser serendipitously, my friend Allie from the ACLU, she just called me out the blue because she, too, shared some concerns about the executive order that was handed down. And it because it included this this one statute, which was a 16-7-1, I believe. And it's an, it's a law that initially Allie and folks at the ACLU initially thought it was a, a statute from the um the black codes the era of the black codes and convict leasing in terms of how folks used to police free black people and would uh arrest them for the the tiniest of infractions right so gratefully uh we found out that it wasn't that however it did come from jim crow era laws and legislation and i just want to um read to you the post that the aclu south carolina uh they they uh, put up on on social media yesterday Again, like this is these are the aspects. This is the aspect of, um, you know, of, of this ordeal that we have to keep in mind. And, and as you heard me say many times on this mic, I am advocating for our government to step in and enact measures that keep us all safe. And I am I am um, advocating for uni uniformity. Like I'd love to see the federal government set the tone that the states and local municipalities can then follow. However, we want to make sure folks aren't overreaching and doing things that could impact our lives. And we all already know that according to recent studies and recent uh, information from not just North Charleston, but of course the city of Charleston, that we have an issue with racial bias among the police. That's why it was very, very encouraging to hear uh, Chief Reynolds kind of like step back a little bit, like reassure folks that, hey, we're not, we're not trying to lock up people, right? Uh, he mentioned something in another clip about his discretion. And so for that, I want to at least give him credit, give him, again, I don't believe in I don't believe in conventional policing. That's just me. We can have a whole show about that one. But um, but I would say for the institution to the police, um, for the police department of Charleston to take the approach of, hey, you know what? We're going to we're going to use our judgment. We're not going to lock up folks. We're not trying to make criminals out of people 
who are straying, you know, straying here and there. And so for that, I feel a little bit reassured. But let me read that uh, post from the ACLU um, that was it was very insightful. So it reads um, ACLU, South Carolina. This is their statement on executive order. 2020-13. During a disease outbreak, individual rights may give way to the greater good, but measures depriving people of their liberty must be scientifically supported and proportional. Governor McMaster yesterday issued an executive order that fails to meet this basic test. EO 2020-13 empowers individual law enforcement officers who are not trained in public health or who are not trained public health professionals to use their discretion to disperse and criminally charge groups of three or more people. As we know from history, these laws are not applied equally or fairly. Instead, they are used to disproportionately charge and incarcerate black and brown people. Additionally, this order will unjustifiably increase arrests in direct conflict with public health experts' recommendations to reduce the jail population in response to the COVID-19 crisis. We urge Governor McMaster to immediately rescind this executive order. It is essential that all government officials, including Governor McMaster, listen to public health experts and design a response plan that protects the health, safety, and civil liberties of all. I just thought that was just like a mic drop moment. Uh, shout out to the ACLU, um, the South Carolina branch of the ACLU for stepping up. Shout out to my girl, Allie, for reaching out. It made me scratch my head too, Allie. So it was great to know that um, someone like you and the ACLU had their spidey senses were up as well um, and issued this statement. Whether or not the governor um, is moved to, to modify the executive order. I, I, we know, we probably know that that's not going to happen, but it's important that organizations like this are watching what's happening and kind of make sure folks are reined in a little bit. Um, there's also a little bit of a, a caption beneath this. This is, this is, I'm reading this from Instagram. Uh, let me read the caption. It might be redundant, but let me go ahead and read it. It says, we are calling on Governor McMaster to rescind the executive order, right? um, Empowering police to unjustifiably increase arrests during an emergency. So, yeah, uh, please support, follow, check out ACLU of South Carolina. Um, And, yeah, yeah, let's let's make sure that we we don't do too much, right? We're doing too much, Uh, Governor McMaster. You're doing a little too much. Um, The next thing I want to talk about uh, is, of course, the most, not the most, but something that's been on, I think, um, at the forefront of everyone's mind. And it's something that I stressed a lot yesterday and it's regarding the economic impact of uh, COVID-19. So I'm going to now hop back into the papers, uh, the local newspapers. Uh, so the cover of the front page of the Post and Courier today, uh, it, of course it covers the whole new limits on um, Charleston. So we won't get into that. Uh, oh, also I forgot to note uh, schools, local schools. Yeah. So for those thought for those who thought we would go back to school at the beginning of April, they've extended school closures to the end of April. Um, so yeah, and I think we're just gonna have to keep watching that. A lot of folks, and I don't want to speculate too recklessly, but a lot of folks have already kind of surmised that we're probably gonna they're probably gonna close schools for the duration of the year. Um, I'm not quite sure if that's gonna happen, but as of right now, they extended school closures. Um, this virus is just really just spreading all over and and we're monitoring other areas like New York, like New Jersey, who are seeing uptick in numbers. And I think it's just going to continue to, to just uh, hit us in waves as well. So, um, 
just to jump around a little bit. Um, but let me get back to the economic news. So um, what's also on the front page of the Post and Courier outside the news from Charleston and regarding the school closures is um, that it looks like Congress and the Senate and you know Pelosi and Schumer have worked with the uh, Republicans to um, present a package that it seems like both sides can agree on. It looks like a lot of compromises were made. Um, one of my biggest concerns were making sure that there were provisions made for smaller businesses, working class people, uh, poor people specifically. Um, as in previous shows, uh, previous mic'd up episodes, I covered the new restrictions that were handed down by McMaster regarding SNAP benefits and, of course, Medicaid. And a lot of that is is was, um, I guess, at risk of being cut even more or folks were getting lost in the shuffle. Poor people were being lost in the shuffle. So hopefully this new package, and, and from what I've read, that new package does include provisions for some of our most vulnerable uh, vulnerable citizens. Um, and also small businesses will have access to loans that are basically grants. Uh, a lot There will be, um, you know, either really low interest loans available to small businesses, which is important. But again, I wanted to circle back to something from yesterday's show, yesterday's update regarding Low Country Local First. So a, a shout out to my friend Lauren, who um, I posted a series of, of, of articles on social media specifically about African-American businesses and how they'll be impacted and and how these communities need certain advocacy. And I'm speaking about the African-American community because I am myself a Gullah Geechee descendant. I am African-American. Um, I consider myself black. That's how I go by. That's what I go by. Um, and so it's important that um, for me, I'm just speaking from my vantage point. I, I am in no way dismissing or diminishing the effects of other marginalized communities. I'm just speaking from my vantage point and um, hopefully I'll be, be able to invite other community members and community community leaders to this discussion. But right now, um, when it comes to black businesses, that's at the forefront of my mind. And so Low Country Local First, they have been hearing me and seeing me post things and been very responsive. Um, specifically, I posted something from the um, Congressional Black Caucus in terms of what they were asking to be included in their legislation. Um, well, they, what they added to be included in the stimulus package um, legislation. And um, I'm trying to find the clip, so I'm kind of rambling a little bit. I'm just going to find this this clip from my friend, not clip, but this um, this response from my friend Lauren. Uh, yeah, so the, the article I posted was from the News One uh, outlet and it's titled Congressional Black Caucus Coronavirus Stimulus Proposals Protect the uh, Those Who Are Most at Risk. And it talked about the specific challenges facing black businesses. Um, Lauren highlighted specific parts of uh, the, pack, the CBC's package and she found that to be, I guess... Um, points that she wanted to implement in her advocacy here locally. I'm saying all this to say that it's great to see area groups like Low Country Local First really following the economic impacts of what's going on and really um, taking taking feedback, taking hard feedback, taking not even just criticism, but just taking pointed feedback and then relaying that to, to certain stakeholders and those who are influential enough to, to shape and craft policy. It's important, again, like the ACLU, that we have um, groups in place that are looking out for the best interests of everyone. So thank you, Lauren, and thank you, Jamie, also from Low Country Local First. Um, also, what Lauren brought to my attention um, was something called, let me see what it is. I have the PDF right here. Um, she wanted to borrow from 
let me just read it. it says here's a proposal advocating right now here's a proposal that they are advocating right now to our senators here in South Carolina regarding small businesses <clears throat> and they make specific provisions for black and brown owned businesses and let me pull up the PDF do 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 y'all y'all should see my computer is so many articles and PDFs and audio files okay so no nope, that's not it it's an emergency grant um, program and it was it says Senator Chris Murphy a Democrat from Connecticut uh, Jeff Merkley Democrat from Oregon and Chris Van Hollen Democrat from Maryland introduced the Main Street Emergency Grant Program otherwise known as MSEGP to rescue small and mid-sized businesses and nonprofits as they weather the coronavirus storm and so you guys can look that up Main Street Main Street Emergency Grant Program and so there are some provisions in there uh, that Lauren found to be very useful. And it's great to see that, you know, Lauren's always doing her homework. So I've, I've been to her home and seen her bookcase and it's, it's just tons of great planning books. And as someone who's really thoughtful about, um, how we can build better cities and support our businesses. All right. So, um, yeah, let me pivot to more economic news. So this right here, while it is another national clip, this is going to be a PBS NewsHour clip. I found this to be very useful because it lets you know what is included in that stimulus package that was just approved. So here's a clip from PBS NewsHour. And as we mentioned, Wall Street soared today on hopes that the U.S. Senate would approve an economic rescue plan. The Dow Jones Industrial Average gained a record 2,100 points to close at 20,705. The Nasdaq rose 557 points, and the S&P 500 added 210. For more on the rescue plan and other efforts to battle the pandemic, we turn again to Lisa Desjardins at the Capitol and to Yamish Alcindor at the White House. To Lisa, I'm going to start with you first. Uh, individual Americans, in particular those who may become unemployed uh, as a result of the coronavirus, what's in this plan for them? Well, that's important. First of all, an update. Uh, we are still waiting to see the plan and the text, and we do not know yet if there will be a vote tonight. It looks more likely a vote tomorrow on this as they are putting the ink on paper. Judy, absolutely, this is what Americans want to know. Let's start with those who have lost their jobs or could lose their jobs. Here's what's in this for them, for the unemployed. There would be up to $600 over usual unemployment benefits for each person. That would mean close to full pay for most Americans. Not every, but for most middle-class Americans, you could get an unemployment benefit of full pay. That is for four months, Judy. And that is an increase over the original plan for this bill. And Lisa, we know another important piece of this uh, legislative plan has to do with small businesses. Yeah. Tell us about what's in there for that, for you, them. This is the part that they agreed on the earliest, but here's where we are. $350 billion in loans for small businesses. Now, those loans will become grants. Essentially, they will be forgiven if those small businesses keep those workers on the payroll, keep those workers paid. And the Treasury Department, I'm told, has a provision in this where they can use tax credits to cut those checks more quickly than usual, get that loan money out more quickly for small businesses, small businesses making up 48% um, of the workforce here in America. 
So that's about it for my update for today. Um, as of the time of this recording, it's 7.27 a.m. I did anticipate having an update um, about uh, how the city of Charleston plans to respond economically um, to both businesses and individuals in terms of providing relief. I, I thought maybe we'd hear update by now, but some of my friends have already cautioned and said that um, I'd hear something uh I'd hear something today or maybe even tomorrow. So um, look out for the next update or two to include that information about how, um, what type of relief local lawmakers are are, cho- are trying to, to create, what kind of relief package are folks trying to create with that. Um, and yeah, uh, if you have any information, things that I've missed, things I've gotten wrong, um, please reach out to me. I encourage you to reach out to me. You can reach me at Tamika, T-A-M-I-K-A, at charlestonactivistnetwork.com um, you can also uh, follow me um, on Twitter and Instagram at Mika Gadsden that's M-I-K-A-G-A-D-S-D-E-N um, on again Twitter and Instagram you can also follow me by my full government name <laughs> on Facebook which is Tamika Chantel Gadsden um, you can check out the Charleston Activist Network Facebook page. Haven't been that active on there for a lot of reasons, um, but I'm going to start trying to do a little bit more with that page and give folks important information and perhaps even post some of this content that I'm airing, um, that I'm recording here for own radio and for my podcast. And speaking of podcasts, you can uh, enjoy this show. Of course, I want you to support my own family. Shout out to Ohm. Shout out to Vicki, James, Jenna, and everybody on the board, uh, the programming board, who made sure that these updates are, are available for folks. You can uh, access all of our uh, digital media. Uh, go to our website. Go to Ohm. Um, go to Ohm Radio's website for more information there. Uh, and you can also stream this show live. I will be doing updates that will broadcast live, well, broadcast at 2 p.m. and 9 p.m. every day during the week. Um, and you can also subscribe to Miked Up, the podcast from the Charleston Activist Network on iTunes and SoundCloud and coming to more streaming platforms very, very soon. So thank you for your support. Please reach out to me. I love feedback. I love anecdotes. I love screenshots. <laughs> a local folks acting up just send me any information you think might be helpful for other folks to hear i'd love to amplify what's on your mind and and other news that i just don't have access to especially with this with limited mobility so until next time folks please stay healthy stay safe um you know relax take breaks take walks stay home to my Gullah, my Gullah Geechee folk, all my family, my community, extended black community here in Charleston. Y'all stay black.